Welcome to a brand new Five Heart Podcast. Brought to you by Coordination.com, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am your host, Greg Mahochko. Joining me, this old guy over here, he is our founder and fearless leader. We caught him in a wardrobe change. Now Nothing is happening. Now he's uh, repping the the wardrobe that you can get to, a cobby hoodie. <laughs> John, tell them where they can uh, find the Cobby goodies. <sighs> Cobbycorn.com. <laughs> Cobbycorn.com. Uh, Do you know what it's like it? to find a domain name that isn't already taken these days? No, because I don't go into that world too often, John. Oh, my God, I do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we, should then, move, we should move on. I'm trying to. Thank you. Uh, and the third leg of the tripod... We wouldn't be where we are without him as, as a people, as a Husker fan base, as a podcast. Hoss Reuter. What's up, buddy? Oh, not too much. Just uh, still laughing about John's wardrobe change after I said he looked like a guy who would own a Prius. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I, I what do we got? Just go. All right. I'm not responding to that. <laughs> besides that, besides that, Prius are very economical vehicles. Again, I'm not dissing on them at all, in the least bit. In this economy, <sighs> I was prepared, and that threw me completely off my game. <laughs> well, coming off of um, a loss, third of the season, fourth game of the year. Uh, number six, Oklahoma, the Sooners, uh, came to Lincoln, and the final score, not indicative. Uh, the final score made the game seem closer than it actually was, 49-14. Uh, it is no secret that midway through the third quarter, Brent Venables uh, uh, gentlemaned out. I mean, that could have been uh, an 80-point uh, Oklahoma uh uh, you know, score, you know, it, that was a really bad way to get to the word score. And I apologize. Uh, but at one point he took his foot off the gas and coasted, got a lot of his, you know, backups in and pretty much ran the same plays that Nebraska still struggled to stop. Uh, John, we all heard your thoughts. A lot of your thoughts with uh, Todd on the Monday night therapy. Uh, let's get to you Hoss, because, it, uh, there was so much hope right at the very beginning. Nebraska got a, a stop on, on Oklahoma's first drive. They marched on the field and scored, and they made it look a little easy. And boom, a couple plays later, uh, Dylan Gabriel, 61 yard on a third down. It, it, it blows my mind that the number of years – back in recent memory where Nebraska struggles on third and long. Yeah. Um, third and Shenander, as my friends and I would call it when we'd be watching games. Um, that's not indicative of this. Well, yeah, it is a little bit indicative of this past game. But for years, you know, especially in 2018, it seemed like we led the nation in getting teams to third down, stopping them on first and second. And then on third and eight, Plus, you know, they'd pull a play out of their ass, you know, and convert for a fresh set of downs. So we started calling it third and Shenander. 
Um, yeah, there were a lot of problems in this game, and a lot of it stems from a personnel standpoint. They were just they had better athletes than we do, and I think a lot of it stems from a development standpoint, specifically strength and conditioning. Um, when you look at how badly our defensive line was out of position and being pushed around, and um, there, those are some pretty glaring and systemic flaws that you're looking at when you see a defensive line get just mowed down three yards beyond the line of scrimmage on a basic power or counter play. I don't want to say that this game was lost in the trenches because I think anybody who's paying attention realized, like you said, they had the Jimmys and Joes uh, and, and they had better X's and O's, but Nebraska lost in, in all three phases of the game. But, oh, that offensive line play was bad. And I don't want to – we could harp on it, harp on it every week. I, I tweeted after the game, I tweeted the gif of Jake Cotton's slow, you know, uh, timber back down. I'm like, I, I long for the days when that's the most uh, embarrassing aspect of our offensive line play. The offensive line that we've been trotting out this season – makes Jay Cotton's uh, uh, timber moment look Hall of Fame worthy. I mean, that's how bad as a unit this offensive line has been. Yeah, the uh, the offensive lines for about the past three or four years, because I would say the 2018 offensive line actually developed into playing some decent football by the end of the year. And uh, the past three, four years, though, it makes me think back pretty fondly on those offensive lines during the Pelini era. You know, the offensive lines that at the time I thought were horrible. You know, they just weren't up to par for what you expect from Nebraska. But look back on like 2012, 2013, 2014, you're like, wow, those, those were actually some pretty good units. And they put some guys in the NFL that either are still playing or have just recently retired, like Jeremiah Searles. So when Nebraska finally gets has a good offensive line again, it's going to be like, wandering through the desert and finally, you know, coming to an oasis of water. John, you've been uh, quiet for a little while, so we appreciate your patience. Why don't you chime in here, sir? Could that offensive line show up in two weeks? No. One. Why? One, I'm going to go with – I'm going to start at the top. Donovan Rayola is not a good coach. And yes, I, I know that somebody's probably going to comment, well, you're not at practice every day, every week. And you're right, I'm not. Um, but when you look at it, guys just aren't well-prepared. When, when you're looking at a right tackle like Bryce Benhart, who doesn't gain any depth on his kick step, you know, he's just kick-stepping straight back instead of gaining width and depth at the same time. And then on the other side, at left tackle, Turner Corcoran is overstepping on his kick step. He's going too wide. So, you know, there are a lot of technical problems. Um, the run schemes have gotten better, sure. But, it, again, it's not the X's and the O's, it's the Jimmy's and the Joe's. And I think a big thing would be just the overall body types of the offensive line. You know, yeah, there's all of them are 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, you know, 315, 320 pounds, you know, especially at the offensive tackle position. But they're knock-kneed. They don't have good bend in the knees. They bend at the hips when they go to block. And so there are just a lot of barriers that we would have to overcome for the offensive line to show up. Into. We're just constantly okay. strong, and we don't have good functional movement up front. 
There was a play where Ben Hart had a guy on his inside shoulder and a guy kind of on his out. You know what I'm talking about, yep. don't you? Yep. Was that the, was that some of that was the just describe what happened? Yeah. So he had a guy. Uh, he had a four eye technique, four eye defensive end on his inside shoulder, and he had an out stand up outside linebacker on his outside shoulder. We're in half slide protection, meaning the right everyone from the right guard to the left tackle slides to the left. He's the one guy that slides back to the right. The back fits in inside if he's staying in the block. We released AJ Allen on the play. So when that when you have, you know, when you have a double edge there, basically, you know, four eye and an and a six technique, you got to take the inside gap first. You don't give up your inside <laughs> gap. And so what does OU do? Why is that? Why is that? Well, it's the shortest route to the quarterback. You know, it's the same quickest way between point A and point B is in a straight line. Same principle here. And so he's got to take him, and then Casey is responsible for the edge rusher by getting the ball out early. So quarterback takes him. Same principle as on his own read. Quarterback's responsible for him. And instead, Bryce Benhart, he turns outside, and that guy, he it, he's kind of on a stunt where he fakes like he's coming, then he drops off into coverage in a simulated pressure. And that leaves the inside gap, the C gap, wide open for an early set, easy sack. I mean, anybody who played has played offensive line knows half slide, full slide, big on big. If you're going to run into that those many problems just with basic things from a guy who this is his fourth year in the program, switch to big on big. Or better yet, take him out, put somebody else in there who might grasp it. You know, it's that, that maybe you should just have him stand still so guys run around. Well, there him. have been a few times that our quarterbacks have gotten sacked where he got passed by the defensive end like a Corvette passing a semi on the interstate. That that's what I, mean. I, I, that's what I mean when I say guys just aren't well prepared. It's those kind of things, those pre-snap sight reads. You know, seeing what they're lined up in pre-snap, making your adjustments to your protection, making you know line calls. Those are the kind of things where it's evident they are not being prepared Monday through Friday. In instructional design, teaching, whatever you, you know, whatever field you want to call it, you're either coaching or and teaching it or you're allowing it to happen. So it's all it always gets back to the person who's in a position of instructional leadership. So you you wouldn't call this just a a problem of dumbness. No. No, I, I mean like I, I honestly think that it's just people not being well prepared, you know, and I mean, Milt wow. Tenniper touches upon it in the assembly line and it's about, you know, you prepare guys Monday through Friday, you show as many looks to them as you can in the film room, you simulate it on the practice field. So by the time they get to game day, unless it's an unscouted look, something new that they haven't shown all season, you're not going to be fooled. And even if it's an unscouted look, you have rules within your blocking schemes that you know, hey, there's a guy lined up to my inside, but I'm also covered up on my outside shoulder. I got to just step and turn this into full slide, take that guy, leave the back or the quarterback to take care of the edge rusher. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. It was sad. I mean, it sad. It was very sad. It's, uh... Yes, Sam. Yes.
And then Scott, you need Dawson, to read that out loud. Really, yeah. The the question being for for those of you who aren't joining us in the uh, uh, visual medium, but just listen to the podcast. Sam wants to know: Do you uh, do you think us hiring Donovan Rayola was just to get Dominic Rayola? And Haas, in a word, yes. Margaritas. <laughs> and you know what? I bet if Carlos O'Kelly's was still around in Lincoln, Scott, I bet Scott Frost would have been a big fan of Carlos O'Kelly's because as their commercials on Husker Sports Network said. The margaritas were always cold. I want to uh, – Matt Hansen asked the question, why can't Nebraska get depth on the lines after so long in the Big Ten? Does it come back to player development? Mm-hmm. Bad strength and conditioning. There you go. Just poor offensive line coaches. I mean, you want to talk Mike Cavanaugh? I mean, <laughs> come on. Um Greg Austin, I thought, was probably the best that we've had. I still contend he shouldn't have been fired last year. Right. Because each year that we had him, you know, the offensive line started out rough, but you could see them develop over the course of the season. You saw guys like Matt Sichterman actually playing some pretty good football at the end of last year. Uh, Noli, the German, who we really miss him um, this year, he was playing really well at the end of last year. In 19, Trent Hickson was playing well by the end of that year. And now it's just an unmitigated disaster. And so whoever the next head coach is, three most important hires, strength and conditioning coach, defensive coordinator, offensive line coach. Yeah. You know, I watched Florida State football for years, and I, I like watching Florida State just because, you know, the, spot for the, Knowles. The, the romanticism of Bobby Bowden and whatever. And they had all these offensive line recruits and couldn't block for shit. And I just watched them, and I would watch their lines and just go, how is this happening? And then we have to watch our own freaking line. And it's not – it's literally non-existent. I mean, that play with the Bryce Benhart, we stepped to the outside. I thought they taught us that in high school. You had to take the guy to the inside just because geometry. Uh, you know, it's I, the shortest distance to the quarterback, you idiot. When and I, I played just, offensive oh. line in junior high and high school as a guy with a short attention span in practice, I remember it was always, hey, if you're ever in doubt on who to block, just block whoever's in your inside gap. Just right. block that guy. You know, we'll figure it out from there. It's ele- it's pretty simple, and uh, you know could they could they possibly re- go ahead? Could they possibly replace Bryce with Kevin just so I could have a different name? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's probably the way to go, Kevin Williams. Or if you want to put Kevin Williams at one of the guard spots and then bring in Hunter Anthony, the right. Oklahoma State transfer. So what I think ne- needs to happen, whether it happens or not, it's a whole nother story. Teddy's out for the year, so Turner Corcoran will be at left tackle. And then Hickson's at center, and I wish we had Cam Jurgens back for another year, but that's not even worth uh, pining over. And then uh, I think you got to just work Latovsky in at the guard spot, rip the Band-Aid off because he's played well in the spot duty that he's gotten. And then Kevin Williams at left guard next to Corcoran and Hunter Anthony at right tackle. Yeah. I'll just say one more thing, Greg, and then you talk for a while. You know what I think the saddest thing about this is? Mm. It, the saddest thing about this is is these guys, like Bryce Benhart, I mean, I beat him up and everybody has beat him up. That guy probably came to Nebraska with aspirations and maybe getting to the pros one day. And it is probably not going to be hardly any of his fault that 
That just isn't going to happen because he's had grown fucking men who are getting paid shit tons of money completely fail at their jobs in their instruction of him. Exactly. And that's exactly. And that's 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 why we can go where well, our players aren't good or our talent isn't good or they, we need to replace these guys. It, it's really literally the it's the coaches are just shitty teachers. And, one and they're thing, not doing their jobs. On that same topic, real quick, just to address Robert Noble's comment about Greg Austin suck. He did. I'm just saying that if you're going to fire him to replace him with Donovan Rayola, the offensive line coach, assistant O line coach with the worst offensive line in football last year, you keep Greg Austin instead. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, that's just a binary, you know, argument right there, if then. But yeah. The offensive line wasn't up to snuff, but it is better than Rayola's offensive lines. A lot, a lot of things yeah. uh, going on in chat, and I'm trying, I'm trying to save some of these uh, comments for later. Um, but one of the things I want to talk – I want to talk – let's get back to the game uh, on Saturday. Haas, I, I, let's talk about the, the bright spot. The one the, drive? The, the one drive uh, that right. resulted in points uh, – John, I think you're going to have to take over uh, uh, comments at this point as I as I go to uh, uh, assist. Folks, very excited. Uh, this week we have visual aids. Uh, and yes. I'm not talking about what you get by looking at John. Uh, I'm talking about things that you can see that will be of benefit to you in understanding. So Nebraska holds Oklahoma on the first possession of the game. And on Nebraska's first possession, they scoot. In, they look efficient, they look crisp, and they scoot down the field, take a 7 nothing lead. And I'm watching that at home. I was a little behind everybody else. I didn't get home uh, to watch it till about 11.45 for you know, 11 a.m. God's time uh, uh, kickoff. And I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm so overwhelmed with joy. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what happened next uh, and, and how quickly the joy – Went away, but Haas, are you ready for uh, uh, visual aid number one? Yeah, I am ready. Take us there, boss. All right, this is our second play of the game. And, <clears throat> excuse me, on our very first drive, we aligned in some variation a, tri- a trips formation, three receivers to one side, one receiver to the other side, on every play of that drive. So this is on our second play after a little pass to Alante Brown. And it's just a little inside zone RPO with a bubble attached to the backside. So the read here is that circled Sam linebacker, that Sam nickel position. And so with a box count, honestly, I think it it probably should have been a re, or a give to Anthony Grant because right here you got five on five, even numbers. But with the soft edge right there and the bubble coming out right here, they're able to get a hat on the corner and another receiver up to the three safety, one of the three safeties up here. And Casey Thompson's able just to swing it out wide here to Trey Palmer, who I think he gains about 12, 13 yards on the play. I wish we could roll video to show it in real time so you can get a better idea of everything going on on the play. But Greg said something we can't use video. So um, this is the best that we got for now. Um, it's re- what I really liked on this opening drive with the use of the trips formation is the fact that 
Trips is a formation that every defense is going to align a little bit differently to. So you get a really good idea on an opening drive with scripted plays of their trips checks. So here's trips to the field. You know, they they go more with a man underneath coverage, hence the read. And you're able to start getting an idea for later in the game. Okay, this is how they align to this formation. This is what they did against this. And you're able to get that feedback in real time and use it later. Unfortunately, nothing worked later. Uh, go ahead and go to the next play. All right, another RPO, this time from a different trips formation. We have a, ta or a tight end. Y over bunch formation. So the end man on the line of scrimmage in the box is Vocalek. He's covered up by Alante Brown. And uh, they just, it's another inside zone bubble to Trey Palmer. The triangle right there is the read, the Sam Nickel again. You get two blockers out in front. But the reason why this was a give to Grant instead of a throw out on the bubble is because over to the field, OU has four defenders over three receivers. So even though one guy's a read and he's pretty far out, and I'll get to that in a minute, but even if you eliminate him as the read, you still have three on two. So that's a disadvantage right there. Now inside the box, you only have five defenders for six linemen and a ball carrier. So that's seven on five right there, seven on six. Sorry, my, uh, my University of Nebraska math is failing me there a little bit. So you got seven on six all told. So you give the ball. And the other reason why it was an automatic give, this linebacker, the read, he's too far out to influence the run. If he was a little bit more inside, maybe splitting the difference into the middle of the field between the number three receiver, the slot, and the box, that would be where you actually read whether he's fitting in to the C-gap or whether he's gaining width with the bubble screen. This was another nice pickup for a first down by Grant. I thought we were really going to keep things rolling with that all game long. And I'm not going to get into it. We all know how that ended. Um, if you want to go ahead and go to the next play. This one's the touchdown play to Trey Palmer. Just a nice little double slant concept with a bang post from Palmer as the number two receiver here. Uh, Whipple in his offense really likes triangle reads. So, you know, if you drew a straight line from the top of the deep route, down to the slant route to the bottom, then over to the outside slant and then back up. You get that triangle read with a vertical and horizontal stretch on the coverage. Um, Palmer made a hell of a play, or ran a hell of a route to get open on this play, and Thompson had all the time in the world to get the ball to him. At that point, I really liked the how we kept yeah, – can't talk all of a sudden – I really liked how we kept varying up how we were aligning in trips so we could get our full idea, bunch, bunch over, classic three-by-one here. And uh, I really thought that there would there's more potential with this. I think there's an identity that emerged on this opening drive by being more of a classic three-by-one spread, pa you know, spread passing game with a good RPO running game attached to it. And with that, you know, you can also get into motioning the back out of the backfield towards the trips to open up the quarterback run. And um, I was encouraged at this point, but yeah. I keep forgetting to turn on uh, 
my microphone off. So yeah, at, at this point it was, like you said, encouraging. I, I want to go back to uh, an older comment uh, from earlier in the evening, uh, TJ, because on the on the I believe the next possession. Correct me if I'm wrong, but okay. that that's when Dylan Gabriel had a 61 yard run, and TJ made a, a a great point earlier in in the comments. He said the most painful part of the Gabriel run was how hideously slow he looked. It was torturous. It, it's not. It wasn't blazing speed that helped Dylan Gabriel get down the field for the score was, yeah, I mean, piss poor effort. Yeah, it was piss poor. Just, you know, was, just like, like Steve like James, Young against the Vikings. And like James Boardman says, just like Marv Seiler, I remember, I don't remember that game. I would have not even been two years old yet, but I remember hearing my dad talk about Marv Seiler and that loss to Iowa State in 92. And Yeah. I was at that game. I helped Iowa State students tear down their goalposts. Yeah, because you're an anarchist, John. <laughs> I wasn't that driving, game. Just driving anarchist. <laughs> well, I, what I thought of when I saw the Dylan Gabriel run was the Steve run, Young run against the Vikings years ago. And I like bringing that up man? because – yeah, because it hurts Vikings fans a lot, and I like to see the pain in their eyes and the tears well up. And oh, that's right, you're a Packers you know. fan. <laughs> Always hated Green Bay. I, if, you know, if it makes you guys feel any better, uh, the Steelers are playing tonight, and I'm here talking with you, Chucklehead. So, yeah. I have, hey, I have Nick Chubb in fantasy football, so uh, I'm rooting for a big game from him. Uh, Dion, it makes a good point. Uh, whoop, hit the wrong one. Sorry. Let's get to Dion says, uh, I think I, if, I hope I got that right. Uh, I think John could have run uh, for a touchdown on that run. It's possible. Prius definitely could have. If, if nothing <laughs> else, he could have, he could have, uh, driven his old VW, uh, van, uh, through the gaping holes that the offensive line created for Oklahoma. You damn hippie. Wow. You know, OU, the, the holes that OU created in their running game, they ran, you know, inside zone, they ran power, they ran counter. And the beauty of it is they were so good at executing that stuff, simple concepts, but they did it extraordinarily well. And yeah, like the defensive front they're going up against is not the 85 Bears, but just the quality, you know, the functional movement, the technique. They they look like they knew what they were doing. That's really what I want to see from whatever staff steps in now. Do the common things uncommonly well. Because that's where to, true mastery, true proficiency comes from. I, I was going to say, make, make the same similar comment. It's, I feel like, you know, Haas for years, you and I have uh, joked in, in reference, remember, remember the Titans, uh, you know, uh, I can't think of it now. Uh, split veer, six like, plays. Split veer. Uh, works like Novocaine. Uh, you know, give it time. It works just like Nova. If, if you simplify the playbook and you become really good at, you know, the dozen, you know, half dozen, dozen, whatever simple plays there are, again, you become masters of that rather than you know, a 400-page playbook, and that's hyperbole, folks. Um, but, you know, rather than something like that, 
where it's so damn complicated and, and it's ever changing and evolving and you don't have a chance to you don't get to run all those plays in a game so you don't have the the, the live uh, reps for it to, to ever truly become great at it you know it, I, I guess maybe that's why we as Nebraska fans uh, miss and appreciate and long for the triple option because that's all we needed and and the the generations that ran the, the option, had it down to a science. They could run it better than anybody, and they did. And then we got away from it. And and I'm not here like advocating for for the triple option. Like I'm not, you know, I'm I'm old, but I'm not that old. Um, I just want whatever works. So let's, you know, you gotta you gotta start somewhere. You gotta find what works, and and just beat the hell out of it. No, I I agree completely, and I think that's a testament to you know, like what Tom Osborne accomplished with, you know, it was a complicated offense to defend and it was a complicated, it was a complicated offense in general, but for as many plays backfield actions that they ran, all the different options, the power inside running game, you know, with the backs, it was built off about seven different blocking schemes. And it's a testament to how good the instruction was that they were receiving. Uh, when you're talking about, you know, Milt Teneper giving offensive linemen a test every Friday over every line call and adjustment that's in the game plan against every front that they'll see. You know, that's that's the kind of teaching and development. That's the mental side of the teaching and development. And then there's the physical side in terms of technique. We have to get back to that. We have to get so like when you if you're playing offensive line, you get to the line of scrimmage and when you're, you know, you're thinking about what play you're running, you're thinking about who, who's in your gap, whether it's gap or whether it's zone, who am I going to block? Where's my hand placement? Where's my helmet placement? First steps. Is it a six inch bucket step? Is it a reach step? Is it a lateral step? You know, all those things. It needs to be so automatic when they get to the line of scrimmage because you drilled it over and over and over again all week long, you know, that's why practice, you know, practice and instruction and film. That's that's the piece of development, player evaluation that somebody mentioned earlier. That's another piece of it. Strength and conditioning. That's another piece of it. All those things need to come together. It's you know, it's like the layers on a marble cake. They all swirl together. It's not clear cut where they stop, where they end. They all swirl together. So you have to find ways to maximize every part of what goes into player development and coaching good football. Is there any, I can get anything out of this. I mean, we play Yana next. I mean, it's not like they're world beaters. They are undefeated, but they shredded like, our ass back in 19. Yeah, but that was, that was years ago. Now this, this program <laughs> has remarkable institutional memory to constant. I mean, we haven't played Texas in twelve, almost twelve years, and I guarantee if we lined up and played with them now, the same issues would crop up. <laughs> and not just getting dominated by you know a more well coached team. I'm talking you know the same weird stuff would probably crop up. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, address this comment since I uh, uh, highlighted it by accident. I, I was trying to save it for later. Uh, Jessica. Cody, Cody, regardless, said Trev doesn't even have a short list and just now hired a search firm. Do we believe we are that, or has he spoken to anyone yet? I don't know. He's got 
everybody plays these things so close to the vest. Right. And it's a really good question. You know, it's the million dollar question that everybody wants to know. But these searches are so close to the vest. When you think about the ones we've had in the past that last like a week, it's such an action packed week. Now we get one that lasts almost 90 days. They don't want any leaks to get out. You know, like what Trev said the other day, um, or might've been earlier today. I can't remember. Days are kind of blended together that, you know, he's read the stuff on Twitter, but he wouldn't describe any of it for, um, he wouldn't describe any Accuracy. of it. And Dion, you said something about Aranda, my man, that's my number one hire right there. I, I think, you know, Trev Alberts has weeks to go before he has to do this. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to be able to announce a coach until the end of the season anyway. So I, I, I realize we're all going to live with this for a long time. And I'd suggest the best way to live with this is, I've said this before, limit your exposure to Twitter and social media. Like, like give yourself 15 minutes or 30 minutes a day to just check stuff and then get the hell off there. You're going to go insane. And we, and we want you to be sane so you can, like, buy a hoodie. You know, I, 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 go ahead, Greg. I was going to say, ahead, I'll Greg. say this. Um you know, right. the, the concern was, you know, from, from Todd uh, Wolverton from, of uh, John and Todd's Monday Night Therapy session. Not Todd and John. John, get that uh, stick out of your ass. Uh, but, you know, the, the concern was like, oh, great, now we have to hear about this till the end of the season. I would rather that be the dilemma, that be the situation, than, than a, a Scott Frost-led team continue to decline. And the whole will we or won't we, the infighting in the fan base, you know, it was a clean break that it needed to happen when it did. And honestly, coaching search season in Nebraska football is the only really happiness that I've had <laughs> in the past, you know, like, I don't know, seven years as a fan. So I look forward to it. I'm just hoping one of these times we're finally going to get the hire that's going to actually produce on-field results. It's always the, the coaching search – sometimes is the most hopeful aspect of Nebraska. For weeks. It, it, it unites the fan base. Oh my God. Now I want to say this. Come on. Come on. There's going to be a whole segment of people who, if urban Meyer isn't our next coach, they're okay. just going to, well, you know what? The, the urban Meyer people like they're like a weird fundamentalist cult. Okay. Cause like, Everybody knows, like, that's not a good idea. And, like, I want to win. I want to win big national championships. Urban Meyer ain't it. Okay, first of all, yes, he failed in the NFL. Okay, it's the NFL, not college. But when you think about the player abuse, just the way that he acted through all that, the video at the bar it, with, you know, that young woman back in uh, October 21, then the Zach Smith situation at – Ohio State, and then, you know, Aaron Hernandez, all that stuff. It's like the juice just isn't worth the squeeze. He's 59 years old. He just wants to, you know, let him stay at Fox, let him go to Arizona State, whatever. You know, who cares? But I, I'm on record, as I've said, that Aranda would be my number one. Now, I want to say this. I don't want to get too deep into the coaching discussion, but Bill O'Brien, that hire does nothing to excite me. That If, it, if the Bill O'Brien hire was a food – it would be a ham sandwich at a funeral luncheon. Excuse me. 
Ham sandwiches are very simple, but if you've ever had a the best yeah. hot ham yeah. and cheese sandwich I'm ever, about, it's like the ham sandwich. Okay, funeral luncheon or school lunch cafeteria where it's one thin slice of ham on a couple of slices of Wonder Bread. You mean like the fire festival? Yes. <laughs> yes. John, I'm surprised okay. you're uh, hip enough to get that reference. Make that reference. Oh. What the hell? Urban Meyer is one year younger than me, and you guys act like he always oh, could keel over at any fucking moment. Well, John. Maybe I'll just get in my out. Prius and get the fuck out of here. John, in our defense, you did keel over at one you, point in your you life. You were though. there when they signed the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. <laughs> I mean, so you're pretty old. You've been back, or you've been you've been around for a long time. <sighs> I was going to sing. The, the Go coach, ahead. Uh, Talk the, among the yourselves for a bit. All right. We'll, we'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, <clears throat> the uh, the coach conversation sure has uh, uh, generated a lot of a lot uh -huh. of uh, discussion in the comments. Uh, there's no way we can get them. I still see. Uh, it, it, for me, the reason Bill O'Brien doesn't excite me is he had a chance as a head coach. And – I don't think he's a very good head coach. You know, I think what he did at Penn State can't be discounted. You know, getting them through the shadow of those NCAA sanctions after the scandal. And winning your division that many times in the NFL is an impressive feat, except for the fact that the AFC South for many – yeah, AFC South for many of those years was the worst division in football. I mean, when you're going 9-7, and seven, you're – quarterbacks or like Brock Osweiler and you know some one cat from Rutgers who I can't remember his name right off the top of my head you know so like he's had it's some success Noah Vedral. what I said it's not Noah Vedral. No, not Noah Vedral. <laughs> you know the whole thing with O'Brien is like it's just kind of the he just has seems like he has the personality of a douchebag man and like one guy one of the commenters said you know if we get to a if the ham sandwich goes to a bowl game we should talk about it yeah, I mean, like, at this point, we haven't been doing a bowl game since the Obama administration. But, you know, O'Brien's just a no. It's a no for me, dog. And thanks, uh, Stoops Defied. Now we're all hungry for ham sandwiches. Yep. Hey, so. Stoops Defied, thanks for hanging around, you know, after that beatdown y'all put on us. We appreciate that. Uh, um, I'm in agreement with Weston here who says he's not on the uh, – Matt Campbell train. I agree. Um, and I, I can't remember if I was talking about this last week or, or, you know, to friend of the show, Josh. Um, but I like, he has a couple signature wins, but he hasn't won the conference. I don't think at Iowa state. I mean, he has not up in 20 beat Oregon in the Fiesta bowl that year. Okay. I mean, that, that, that's certainly that's yes. Better than where Nebraska has been since, Again, the Obama I think, I think Campbell. I think Campbell is a very good coach. Now, like Cornhusker Corner says, they'd rather have Leipold than Campbell. I'd rather have Leipold as well. It's all about upside, you know, or 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 um, <clears throat> you know how how high is that how high is that ceiling going to be? You don't want to have somebody who's going to get you. You don't want to have somebody who at Nebraska is going to get you to six and six or seven and five, and that be the cap, right? I mean, you you want somebody who's legitimately going to win the West more often than you lose the West, 
go to Indianapolis, have a legitimate chance, and and start getting into not just bowl games, not not limping in at five and seven in, into bowl games, but um, <clears throat> competing in in for the major bowls and and trying to work your way into that expanded playoff. I will say that the comparisons to Mike Riley, the Matt Campbell comparisons to Mike Riley, I wouldn't say that those are perfectly, you know, analogous to one another. Um, Mike Riley was a longtime football coach who never got over 500. He was just a 500 coach. Matt Campbell is 42 years old and stepped into an Iowa State program that's become very competitive. Do I want Campbell? Not necessarily. Would I be okay with the hire? Yeah, because I think that uh, I think that his teams play some pretty good football. They're still at a pretty distinct talent disadvantage at Iowa State. They're getting better in recruiting, but recruiting would be the one thing why I don't really care for a Matt Campbell hire because you don't know if he's going to end up being one of those, oh, we just go after diamond in the rough type of guys. Okay. I'll make the point to you that it doesn't matter as much as it used to about recruiting. No, NIL have- things, and Iowa State has no NIL money. Right. Yeah, they have that weird so you have- has that weird obsession with building Town or whatever it's called. Player development is going to be more key to the next head coach, and Matt Campbell does player development. Yep, and so is Lance Leipold. Right, because the Neo deals are going to bring the players in more as as much as recruiting will. So you can make up a Neo deal as you can for a recruiter. There was an article that I read earlier today on ESPN.com. It's from over the summer about Aranda. And maybe we could link it in the coordination article when you know when I find the URL for it. I think that that is a guy who player development is at a premium. You look at what he did in terms of number one ranked defense at Wisconsin in 2015, what he continued to do at LSU, what he's now doing at Baylor. I think that that if you're if you're interested in player development and running a program where you know guys are excited to play for their head coach. That is the hire. Um, another person mentioned Gary Patterson. This was five years ago. Hell yes. There was, you know, I thought that's who we should have hired when instead we hired Frost. But at this point, there, you know, he, he went downhill his last four or five years at TCU, and there were a lot of issues behind the scenes. I like him as a coach, but I just I think that we could do better at this point. He's accomplished and, you know, he's got a nice cushy gig as the special assistant to the head coach down in Austin. All right. So uh, I highlighted earlier in the, the show, Isaac had a couple of, uh, I'll say, outrightly negative comments. So I'm going to highlight them, uh, read them to you, and then I'll get your guys' thoughts. Uh, yeah, let's hear them. Uh, so first he says, uh, Huskers just don't get good recruits. No one wants to go there anymore. They made a good franchise into a laughing stock. Uh, hold tight on reaction. I'll, I'll show you the next one. It says nobody wants to play for them anymore. No top guy is even thinking about going to Nebraska. We, we brought up NIL, uh, and I know, John, you and Todd talked about the NIL infrastructure that's uh, being put in place. I don't – I'm going to hide the comments because they're, the, the greater conversation is 
to a point, I, I agree with him about the there's the, a lot of the built-in equity of the, the 90s. The goodwill is gone, right? I mean, uh, been we're, gone for a long time. Yeah, um, and and I feel like every year that we go, we're a little bit more in debt, right? I mean, we're from from a fan base perspective, you know. The, the, certainly the fans who shell out money to fill up Memorial Stadium, and even that is, you know, in question for some of these uh, uh, Big Ten games. You know, there are a couple thousand tickets left over for, like, Wisconsin and things like that. But uh, I'm sure that some corporation will gobble them up, I'm, you know. But we have uh, – we are as, you know, some, some people, yes, I will say that some fans are as – financially invested as they are emotionally, you know, I can't, you know, I, I can only imagine what, you know, season tickets cost at, at Nebraska, uh, you know, gear and, and, you know, sometimes you, you travel. I, I have traveled, I've traveled to uh, Orange County CA to watch Nebraska lose in, in non-conference uh, of a game. So I, I do think that, you know, the, the fan base is, is doing everything that we can to keep this motor running, you know. Um, but to, to Isaac's point, money talks and bullshit walks. And if you know a top kid, why would he consider Nebraska getting paid? And we and we've recruited well. We've recruited very well. Yeah, it's we all have. about it's all about development. I mean, Ty Robinson's the same guy that Nick Saban got on an airplane and flew from Alabama to Arizona for an in-home visit. We've recruited well. It all comes down to strength and conditioning, player development with the position coaches, good coordinators, and good you know overall program leadership from the head coach, uh, which I'm glad that you did this real quick. I posted in the chat a link to an article on USA Today that goes through the last decade of recruiting classes and ranks them. And Nebraska, I keep saying this, and people apparently either don't believe me or whatever, Nebraska has out-recruited the Big Ten West nine out of the last ten years. Yep. That's who I we mean, have to out-recruit. Yep. We, we're, we're not going to out-recruit Alabama. Overall, we're the third or fourth overall most talented team roster on paper yeah. in the entire yeah. conference after Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. Yeah. The opposing coaches who are interviewed by Athlon, they all say in the preseason magazines, when you see Nebraska get off the bus, it's like, damn, wow, these guys are long and athletic. They look like they can play. Ball, you know, the ball gets kicked off, they're playing, and they quickly realize, wow, these guys are really poorly coached. They just don't know what they're doing. It's like a lot of the guys on the 2009 defense, Bo's second year, a lot of those guys were on the 2007 defense that gave up points and were leakier than a screen door on a submarine. John Blake's Oklahoma teams got their asses kicked by Nebraska in the 96-97. Three years later, Stoops wins a national championship with the majority of those guys. Alabama, same thing in 2005, 2006, 2007. Two, three years later in 2009, they win the national championship. Player development is our problem. We've recruited well. We just need coaches who, one, actually want to do their jobs and not, you know, go golfing, you know, or drink beers in their driveway 
and, you know, go to Big Red Kino, stuff like that. You know, like we need coaches that actually want to do their jobs and they work the hours commensurate with coaching college football, not having bankers hours. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I'm, I'm going to show this, Greg. Mike Schuster says, please explain how nil works exactly. I, I don't, we're not going to do that right now. I might do a no. video. Maybe we'll do that for show. That's a good I just responded in text. I said, we'll discuss this. Hang tight. Now you just shot me down. Made me look like a liar. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I just read right now what somebody else referenced about how uh, Zach Smith thinks Aranda would be a home run hire. What is, is Zach Smith uh, doing uh, these days? He has a podcast. Remember Last Chance You, that show on Netflix? Yes. Uh, you know Jason Brown, the real douchey from uh, Independence yes. Community College down in Kansas? It, yes. They have a podcast together now. And so he's just podcasting. And You know, Zach Smith, he says some pretty crazy things. Uh, but uh, I will say he's still pretty dialed in to what's going on in college football. So you listen to his podcast? I've listened to like a little bit of it once or twice. Like, okay. I mean, I'm not like some Zach Smith fan. Like, you got to listen to his pod, brother, you know. And uh, what Phil Spear said, this roster with the right coaching is at least a six or seven win team. I'd agree. I think it's even close to an eight or nine win team. Just the raw aggregate talent. I agree. <sighs> I want but to... Let's take a few minutes uh, and, and put the, the coaching uh, conversation uh, on on the on the on the back burner. I for I did something that I didn't really ever do in the Scott Frost era, uh, and I watched the post game press conference with Mickey Joseph, uh, a few of the players, uh, and then I watched the earlier this week Mickey Joseph press conference. Um, you know, for, I mean, a lot has been made about Miles Farmer's uh, comments about uh, tapping off uh, or tagging off, I guess, uh, the uh, the last four years uh, in practice and, and not tackling. Uh, Mickey Joseph said that those were things that were going to be addressed. I anticipate a pretty substantial roster shuffle, uh, depth chart shuffle. Uh, and, and, and I think what maybe impressed me the most is he's like, we're – you know, earlier this week, he's like, we're not even worried about Indiana. Uh, we are uh, worried about Nebraska. It's Nebraska versus Nebraska this week. We're going to line it up. We're going to figure out kind of who who wants to uh, who wants to be here and, and who wants to, to play and, and and back to basics, back to fundamentals, which I'll tell you what, after four weeks of football, you shouldn't have to go back to fun. No. So that all that tells me is that so little was done in the past four years that you have to take, you know, sometimes 21, 22 year old men be like, all right, let's figure out how to block. Let's figure out how to tackle. Well, you know, that, that I have two things to that point. First is you're absolutely right. By week four, it shouldn't be. Let's get back to fundamentals. By week four, you should start to be peaking. A little bit not at the peak but you should be you know on the rise you know getting better each week you're starting to upward install more. yeah upward trajectory but the second thing that it's sad that you're telling the, you know these 
18 and 22 year olds, you know, get back to fundamentals. When Sabe, I read a story that when Saban took over at Alabama, players didn't, they had like a staff infection outbreak, like an MRSA outbreak in their locker room. Players didn't apparently know how to properly dry off with a towel. So Saban was up there in front of the team in a meeting, telling them the proper way to dry off with a towel. Start with your face, work your way down. So anytime you think that you're overestimating your 18 to 22 year olds, eh, think again. Yeah. I mean, you got to, you got to start hair and face work away, but eventually you start your feet and then you always ended the ass crack, right? I mean, like you don't, you don't go ass to foot. <laughs> that is correct. You're welcome. Are we going to have a discussion about that? Yeah. I, I I we'll, see what, I, we'll, we'll, we'll see what the viewers have to, to say. The pause was I had to briefly think for a second. How, you know, I was like, wait a minute. Do I do? Yeah. Because, I mean, once it gets past here, I'm kind of just on autopilot, you know. You know, I I had to uh, I had to teach most of my roommates to wash dishes in college. So, did you go ask the foot with them? No, yeah, <laughs> no ass involved. I've I've had to teach Back. some of my coworkers how to change a tire, and that was uh, one of those things. I'm like, wait, you guys don't know how to do that. In fact, one time I came home. And there was a, a dish, the dish sink was full of water and soap, and my roommate's electric corn popper was soaking in it. And uh, I was like, walked in, I'm like, what the hell is going on with this? And it was one of my roommate's girlfriends. They they both were from fairly well-to-do families, and she said, well, it was really dirty, so I thought I'd soak it. The world needs a new They haven't lived that down ever. They still, it's been 30, 40 years, and they haven't lived it down. Okay. No, that's, something that's something you don't let them forget about. <clears throat> All right. So, with with the bye week, and this uh, episode is, is perhaps appropriately titled "Bye Week Blues." Nebraska is one and three. Uh, the bye week could not have come at a better time uh, for for this team, for this coaching staff. Eric Chenander is out. I don't even know. I mean, we're almost an hour into this. Five minutes in, we're finally barely, that. barely mentioned that. Um, and, and, you know, right. what I want to see, again, this week's fundamentals, next week it's, it's you know, it's this week's individuals. I think how, how Mickey Joseph phrased it is this week it's individual work. It's, it's you know, uh, doing the uh, uh, doing the, the reps and, and the drills and things like that. And then next week they'll, they'll start prepping for Indiana. What I want to see next week when they line up defensively against Indiana is not to be – seven, eight, nine, ten yards off the line of scrimmage at, at the cornerback position. Uh, I don't want – I if I – I swear to God, if I hear any more bend but don't break defensive mentality, I'm going to have to buy a new TV because I'm going to throw something through mine. And I got that kind of money. I got to redo a kitchen now. At this point, we're really seeing how important Markel Dismuke and Deontay Williams were. To our defense last year. I mean, anytime that you can go too high and align your guys only eight yards off the line of scrimmage and they can fit in against the run and they can cover well, that's a pretty nice luxury to have. Um, I think it's also showing that JoJo Doman, that's not a position that you can 
easily play. That's not a position that's very common to have. And the scheme was not why he was successful. I mean, this I'm not saying anything groundbreaking here, but the scheme is not why he's successful. The scheme was successful because he was such a special player. How much crap he covered up for us. I mean, how many outside linebackers can cover David Bell from Purdue up the seam? I mean, he would have been drafted a lot earlier if he didn't have, you know, such a long injury history from his first few years at Nebraska. And we're missing Damian Daniels. And I'll, I said it when it happened, but we're missing Casey Rogers. Him and Jordan Riley are the two starting defensive tackles for Oregon, and they had a hell of a game against BYU. Missing Tony Tuioti. I think Mike Dawson's, you know, another ham sandwich of a coach, you know. And so, I mean, we have some serious problems. I don't know if they're easily fixed, I, I at least not in a bye week, because I don't think you're going to see any wholesale scheme changes over the bye week because we only get two practices because we had week zero. So right. they'll do a lot of film work, but you're not going to be really installing a lot of stuff on the field to run. You know, you can vary up your coverages and do some of the things that we talked about last week, automatic front coverages. But it's going to be – I don't know how much will change. I I want to go back to, to that JoJo Doman element because you're right. He maybe – 25, 30% of his success was scheme. The rest was JoJo Doman, right? I mean, in uh, whatever ratio, the majority of, of JoJo Doman's success was JoJo Doman being that gifted, that skilled, and that hungry. We don't have a JoJo Doman on the team this year, yet I still feel like, uh, and, and again, we'll say this, under the old guard, you know, it, it was Eric Chenander's show up until – you know, Sunday or whatever, Monday, whenever that uh, those ties were cut. There's, you, you you're not replacing. There's nobody on that defense who's showing JoJo Doman like skills. You can't shoehorn any old, you know, pardon the pun, Joe, uh, any Jimmy or Joe or JoJo. I, I guess Joe, never mind. Um, into that position because they're not all, you know, JoJo Doman. He's a special, a special character. You 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 have to you got to make these adjustments based on personnel you see in the spring. You can't just be like, well, well let's, you know, and I don't, I'm not going to throw any particular defender under the bus. It's not their fault for for being put in a bad in, in a in a setup for failure from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, it's the staff thought they could replicate that. I mean, they they probably when they came here from UCF, they probably thought they could replicate Shaquem Griffin's success. You know, thinking of a scheme. And, yeah, they were right. They lucked into inheriting a defender like JoJo Doman. But, you know, Shaquem Griffin ran a 4.3840. You know, he's a pretty phenomenal athlete. JoJo, I think, at 230, 235, clocked a 4.6 at the combine. At that size, that's, you know, that's pretty damn fast. So those are rare commodities. They don't grow on trees. It's like how – Polini thought he could turn any three-star defensive tackle into the next Indomitian Sioux. Nah, Sioux was just that good. Does Mickey Joseph do anything for you? Like if he were to be the full-time replacement? Yeah. Yeah. I think we could do better. 
I'm not gonna call him a ham ham sandwich. <laughs> well, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he, you know, I think he's a great position coach. I think he's a great recruiter. I think he's the steadying influence that Nebraska needs right now. Uh, but I'd be I, I think if he short of him going eight and zero the rest of the season, leading to him getting the job, I think that if he was became the next head coach, permanent head coach it means we struck out on everybody really yeah unless he if he goes eight no i mean again if he goes eight no he's not the next head coach in nebraska he's the second coming of jesus christ (laughs) i like his freshness in the press conference did you see the interaction between him and the press corps when Uh you asked him about uh Asked him who was it, Miles Farmer and the tapping out thing, and then the the, the press people are like that 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 when he said what the guy say, I don't watch this stuff. Oh. And then was- I also uh, I I was listening to it on the radio over my lunch break when I was driving, and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed how I don't know what reporter it was, but they asked him, well, what didn't you think of huddling up to slow the game down? Okay, this guy's been head coach for all of what eight days, nine days. You never asked that question one time through almost five seasons of Scott Frost no. being the head coach, including no. games where the tempo screwed us out of winning the game. Twenty nineteen Indiana, you probably end up winning the game if you just slow things down and get your defense off the field. Clock management, you know, those kind of games. Northwestern in 2018, slow things down, run out the clock. It's not like Divino Zigbo wasn't averaging nine and a half yards a carry that game. So, and this is where the Nebraska football media is gutless. They won't ask that question for four years, you know. But the second it's somebody else, you know, they'll do it. It's like, come on. And you guys wonder on Twitter why people don't like you. Yeah, it's just I, I I don't know. It's it's really kind of now like Greg. I don't know what to say. You know, I, I you know what it comes down to. I kind of know their position that if they'd have said anything or if they did did things that people would be oh you're being hard on Scott Frost. But at the same time, isn't that your fucking job? Kind of. I realize it's sports journalism. You're not trying to take on the UN and nuclear proliferation, but you can still ask basic questions about shit. And they didn't do anything. And I just, I look at them and I kind of go, why would anybody bother signing up for their content to pay for it when they, when they, when they spent the entire off season telling us that we were going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. And we were just, I, you know, moldy bread shit on a bad ham sandwich. We're <laughs> going with the ham sandwich, you son of a bitch. It, it needs to be a shirt. Somebody else said it. It needs to be a shirt. All right. Uh, Matt asked this question a while back, and we never got to it. Uh, I had it up for a long time, but the conversation never got there, and John took it down because John's mean. Uh, you guys might have missed it. What do you think of Mike Gundy, and is Nebraska still a desirable job in your opinion? A twofer, twofer for you, Matt. You're welcome. Is Mike Gundy that guy that wasn't Mike Gundy that guy that was like uh, married with children? No, it's Al Bundy. Oh, also, also I know that and you don't. Fifteen years ago today was his post game. You come at me, I'm a man. Rant. Yeah, 
I think he's a good coach. You know, he'll get you eight or nine wins every year. Take it to the bank. Every third or fourth year, he'll get you up to 11 wins with a chance at 12. Um, I mean, if he's interested and we interviewed and he wanted the job, I'd take him. And, you know, if he brings Tim Rattay as his offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach and they are able to get Zane Flores to Lincoln, he's from Gretna, and get him to Lincoln instead of going to Stillwater, all right. The fact that Nebraska didn't offer Flores because we put all our eggs in one basket with a five foot eight quarterback from Massachusetts, that William Pop Watson, and then tried that we entered ourselves into the Dylan Rayola sweepstakes is just ridiculous. All right. Uh, what about part two? Nebraska, is it still a desirable job? I mean, I was going to, I'll yeah. answer this as, as, as politely as I can. Any, any place where you can be gainfully employed, it's got to be a desirable job, right? And and especially in the maybe maybe more so now than ever, Nebraska is desperate. But Nebraska is going to open up a big old checkbook. You got the facilities. You got the fan support. You got the Big Ten TV money. You have everything you want here. This place is hungry for a winner. I mean, it's. You know, I and if there's any silver lining to Scott Frost failing here, even though the past four years have been just agonizing, the silver lining is the '90s. We finally buried the '90s. At least, I, at least I think you know that's the general sentiment. You never know; it might come. You know, it might be like that Stephen King short story. Sometimes they come back. Uh, you know, we put that behind us. We're ready to move on. So. It's a good job. I mean, shit, you win eight games in your first year and take us to a bowl game, we'll put a statue up for you right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Plus, right now we play in the Big Ten West. I mean, it's not, we don't face juggernauts in our division. In fact, this year, you know, even a serviceable coach would, would win this division. Yeah, with this I mean. Team, which is really kind of just wasted opportunities. And Matt said, you know I believe I, Gundy was interested after Bo was fired, yep, I heard that same thing. So was Kyle Whitting. I'm literally, I'm literally going to do a video on the 90s in the next two days. So. <laughs> it, it is okay. said, you know, you says, to, to what you said, Haas, you come in, you win eight, eight games first year, you get us to a bowl game. That's where we're at. You know, this, this was a – a program, maybe a, even a fan base that I'm gonna do math. I hate doing math. Seven years ago, nine, ten wins weren't enough when they came with a, a boo boo face attitude from Bo Pelini, right? Let's uh, oh, sorry. No, no. It, Twenty years ago, I mean, it, you know, twenty and change years ago, national championships were still, you know, yeah, expected in part of the conversation. Now we're like. Get us eight wins. Get us eight wins. We'll we'll put you in bronze, you know, and, and put you out by Osborne. Uh, you know that that and and the the reality that's the reality situation. The the desire certainly is to be back to competing for national championships, but we're gonna have to take baby steps. Like yep. I, with the benefit of hindsight, it's fun to look back with conversations that you and I had, Hoss, right here on this very show. When Scott Frost was named head coach, we're like, Psh, 
we're gonna be down there in uh, New Orleans or, or wherever in, in uh, January oh. 2022. We're gonna be down there watching Nebraska in the national championship. That didn't exactly materialize. Yeah, we went that three was, and nine. That was our hope. Um, you know, that, that's the whole thing. That I'm glad you brought that up though, because so many people have been like. Well, I don't just want to hire a coach who can win us eight games. And it's like, well, no, at this point, that's the next logical step. It's linking and chaining, you know, those behaviors together, those championship habits that Trev Alberts talked about in the press conference. And it's putting that all together into incremental improvement. You know, that that's what it – and that's one of the reasons why I kind of started to check out on Frost – towards the tail end of 2019 because two years in you haven't shown any incremental improvement there's nothing to point to that says hey we're on the right track the same stupid mistakes are glaring every single game it's like like behaviorism didn't exist in this program because we never learned from our mistakes oh we did that and that sucked let's not do that again you know there's a consequence for that we continue to make the same mistakes. It was the definition of insanity, doing the same things over and over and over again and expecting different results. The the, the formula is going to have to be, you know, obviously, get get the right coach in. We don't know who that is. And, and let's be completely honest, after he gets here, we're still not going to be 100% sure he's going to be the right coach until we see the results. So it's going to start with the coach, the coaching staff. Uh, you, you're going to have to – start winning games i mean you're you're it's not going to be a situation of whoever we we whoever they bring in to uh helm this program be like all right can't wait 2026 me hoss and john we're going to be down in uh, georgia or wherever whatever uh bs southern states hosting the national championship and uh we're going to be out there uh watching nebraska march to a national chip it's going to take you know you got to win games in, in the conference, in the division, you have to win the division. Then you're going to have to win the co- – realistically, if you want to set exp- – and I know with under different circumstances, maybe, yeah, you can turn things around in, in a two-year period. I am not going to put my chips in that you know particular basket anymore. Uh, it is going to be – look, look let's be realistic, five years. I think it's going to be five years before, you know, and, and maybe that's unrealistic to some people, but I, I'd rather look if, if, if I say five years and I'm right, then I'm right. If I say five years and it happens in two years, I still come out as a Husker fan. I come out. So it's a win-win for me to say five years. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. I've done that a few times. If you know what I mean, I'd rather, um, lower the expectation, you know, and, and finish the project uh, uh, on time and under budget, if you know what I mean. I got you. Hey, if we're in a national championship game in five years, I think this rebuild will be ahead of schedule. I like uh, – oh, I'm going to put Sorry. this up here. No, wait. But I, I, that was mine. I hate you. <laughs> oh, now I'm just clicking all over the place. <laughs> ha, ha, false flag. What a, what a name. What a name. Whatever happened to those tough kids born and raised on the farms in Nebraska? Okay, well, in 1980, when you went out and did irrigation, you still laid pipe and you had to pick it up every before you, you, you harvested. 
Nowadays, you go out and you push a button and the center pivot switches from this side to whatever it's going to do at night. You know, push a button. That's what you do. Used to be able to haul a pipe all over the place. Now you push a button. You get in a tractor. It's GPS controlled. It drives itself. You know, even farm life. You got three people that can farm a, probably a thousand acres until it comes to harvesting time. So, you know, I'm not saying farm work is, is not hard. But it is not what it was 30, 40 years ago. So, I, you know. my, my, my answer to that question was going to be the exact same. Advances in farming technology have meant that, you know, you don't have to put in nearly the – look, I love farmers. My brother-in-law is a farmer. My, my nephew is going to be a farmer, and he's going to be in tractor poles. And it's, it's, I'm super excited for him, and, and, and God bless farmers. But it is, it's a different industry than it was 20, 25, 30 years ago. You're not getting those. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. I, I don't want to say anything more that is going to offend, uh, uh, you know, the farming, the, the agriculture community. And, and Josh uh, here says you need rancher kids. They still bust ass. Josh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Your daughter can't play football for Nebraska, probably. Maybe she can. I don't know. Can she, she, can she stop the run on third and goal from the one? No, she's a year and a half. <laughs> she's super cute, and she can dance and and uh, and you know what with with the cartoon on TV. That's about. She's you know a really rangy outside linebacker type who can you know really cover in the flat like a JoJo Dalton. If so, similar to Nebraska, but she's right. only a year old. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to catch so much help. Really? <laughs> Sorry. We didn't uh, – go ahead. No, I was just commenting. How, Josh dare up. How, how dare you try to limit her? Well, you know, I love her, Josh. I'm sorry. She's, she's like a niece to me. Did any of you guys – did you guys see anything about the news today with the, the stadium changes and all this stuff? Yes, thank God. That's the most uncomfortable – I love going to games. It's so uncomfortable sitting in there. So what do you? Th we're an hour fourteen minutes into this. Maybe we should save it till next week. But that actually, might be a good idea. What was the other news today? You know what? Playfly or something? Playfly. Tell you what? Here, here, here's what we do. We could just ask the people. We're getting a bunch of people that are regulars. Maybe next week, with your comments, bring what you'd like to see as your top three stadium memorial stadium changes. And we could do a shit. What do you think, Greg? I like it, John. Seatbacks, Coors Banquet, and I don't know what the last Wait, one is. Wait, I think. Let you know, here's the thing. Seatbacks. I, I, <laughs> I don't care about reduced capacity. Seatbacks need to have it. I'm five foot nine and barely 185 pounds. I have a hard time sitting in those bleachers. I'm always, you know, like this, especially. I was at the 18 Colorado game. Somebody next to me was about the size of a silverback gorilla, and everybody in our row was just, you know, squished together. I'll say this, John, uh, to follow up on what you mentioned about, uh, would you say lap dances or stripper poles or something like that? Look, the fans are already going home unsatisfied, all right? Don't make them pay extra. <laughs> uh, South um, Stadium. The other – the other news was uh, that Nebraska signed a media rights deal. 
for $300 million. It's a 15-year deal till 2038, which I think uh, I think that I replied to one of the Nebraska media guides, Michael Brents, I think it was, and I said, like, the world will even be around in 2038, which was pretty cynical. And then you know what I did after that? I got the hell off Twitter because it's bad for your mental health. But, uh, you know, the, the uh, media deal, that probably deserves more explanation, kind of like nil. I, somebody actually on YouTube asked me to explain the media deal, and you're kind of like, ooh. Greg, you're in me. You were in radio. Can you explain it? <laughs> we're late. We're, we we got into this. No, I, we, I I can't because I was in small town radio, uh, and we paid. Okay. Uh, the the my first uh, radio gig, thankfully, was in Northwest Nebraska. It was a Husker affiliate. Uh, my last uh, radio gig was in Illinois, and it was an Illini affiliate. So I can't help you. I, I I don't know anything about that. Just think, you could be interviewing Brett Bielema right now. No. All right, sounds yeah, like I'd we probably, have work cut out for us for next week. I'd probably ask him something about karma. Um, yeah. Next week, uh, one uh, programming note for uh, you viewers and listeners at home is it's going to be on a Thursday night again. That is completely my fault. I'll be in a conference uh, in Minnesota. Uh, and and there are Wednesday evening activities that I uh, am, am obligated to attend. Um, and, and John doesn't like how he does the intro and probably the close. So he refuses to do the Five Heart Podcast without me. So I, I apologize. Uh, but it'll be Thursday, same time, 830, uh, God's time, uh, Central Time Zone. Uh, and then um, this, is your, this is your show. It is. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I've been around the longest. But. That's okay, I, and I appreciate the fact that you know in, in other times it went on without me, and it may have to go on without me uh, down the road. But uh, to answer the question of where the hell is Todd, Josh, Todd is uh, on John and Todd's Monday Night Therapy session. Uh, we found that having four—that's not the right video or, or the right comment. Um, Jeez, uh, we found that having four voices on here uh, can affect the connection, and also you get that many people talking over. Uh, one another it, it didn't uh, work out as well so uh, Todd has a, a spinoff uh, show with with uh, uh, John called John and Todd's Monday Night Therapy Session so next week Thursday night 830 Central um, and, and we'll yeah we'll discuss changes to Memorial Stadium um, and, and as an added bonus experience. the what I'm sorry the game day, the game day experience. Yes. Perfect. All right, we're gonna have to come up with some good questions. And as a bonus for me, on Saturday I get to go hang out with John Dam Johnston and watch the Nebraska Indiana game, and then probably have to find an Uber back to uh, uh, Minneapolis because I don't think he's gonna want to drive me anywhere at nine thirty at night or whatever time the football game ends. Because uh, that fire up that Prius. Oh, here we go. Uh, this one's just for you. God dang it, every time. Will you stop doing that? Uh, Josh wants to know, when uh, is best friend of the show, Josh, and Haas' spinoff show, Whiteboards and Black Shirts? You know what? I like that idea. I like that <laughs> idea. Uh, we talk about that off air. Um, It'll be the better call Saul of the <laughs> uh, podcast. 
All right, so that'll do it for this episode of the Five Heart Podcast. As always, we appreciate you, uh, the commenters, the, the viewers. Your interaction helps uh, really drive the show. And for those of you who are listening, hey, we we do this. This show started for you. It it'll always be in its podcast form, so that you can take it with you anywhere you go at home, at work, in the vehicle. So for Hoss Reuter, for John Dam Johnston, I'm Greg Mahachko. We remind you each and every week. That five heart is all the heart you need. John? Go big red. Win the damn bye week. <laughs>